innovation, lessons from failure, and creating a culture of innovating, all on today's episode. Are you a leader trying to get more from your business and life? Me too. So join me as I document the conversations, stories, and advice to help you achieve what matters in your life. Welcome to Unbound with me, Chris Dubois. Bruno Peschitz is an innovation expert who has delivered projects improving GDP for several leading brands and countries. With a master's in industrial engineering and management, he's co-founded Norway's largest lean startup community, as well as a as a founder. In, man, I'm just going to restart that. Let's see. Already stumbling. Look at that. All right. Clap, clap. Restart. Bruno Peschitz is an innovation expert who has delivered projects improving GDP for several leading brands and countries. With a master's in industrial engineering and management, he's co-founded Norway's largest lean startup community, as well as Founder Institute Norway. Bruno has 10 plus years working across defense, manufacturing, education, and finance to help companies innovate profitably. And today we're going to dive deep into that. Bruno, welcome to Unbound. Chris, so happy to be here. All right, let's, uh, let's get right into your origin story. Take it from there. Okay, I gotta keep this uh, short and sweet, uh, which might not sound when I start opening with when I was a little kid, <laughs> but it is important. So w- what I often say for me, uh, where I'm today, I had the good fortune of having parents that allowed my curiosity to flourish. So you know education systems, you know how they are. They're not really supportive of, you know, kids that have a lot of questions uh, that are seen as troublemakers, you know, asking why this, why that, why does it have to be like that? I had good fortune of having parents that did not punish that and that encouraged that. So, you know, from there, I was able to study, you know, whatever my parents uh, could afford. And I started in uh, industrial engineering. That's understanding, you know, how machines work, how people work in machine systems, etc. And from there, I was just curious about, okay, how does the world work? What makes a product successful? What makes an idea innovative? And somehow, you know, from my humble beginnings as an engineer, I ended up traveling the world, helping different companies bring their ideas to life. I love my work because it enables me to remain curious <laughs> and it challenges, challenges me. At the same time, something better happens in the world. <laughs> so that, that, that's an origin story at a very high level. <laughs> awesome. Well, so let's get right into a question about innovation uh, with how how can leaders kind of identify and then neutralize those like corporate challenges that they face to when resisting like innovation? Okay. So it's, it's a huge topic. I'll try to uh, drop few interesting and practical things, and then let's explore, you know, whatever you think is uh, most relevant or interesting to you and people that will be listening this as well. So innovation is one of those words, you know, if you ask 10 people, you're going to get 20 definitions of what innovation is. I do think definitions are important, but what is more important is to have within an organization a shared definition. So you do not need to have my definition of innovation or Chris's definition of innovation. But if you're a group of people working in an organization, you should definitely have a shared definition. I'll share mine and you can use this inspiration or you can use whatever definition of innovation you want. So for me, innovation is something new that creates value. New doesn't have to be new to the history of mankind because we are quite inventive. It has to be new for you, the innovator, and it has to be new for your customers. 
So if you're taking something in a market that's already established, but your customers never heard of it, hey, that is still innovation, especially if you never did. Value is, it's funny that we have to talk about it, but you know how for the last 10, 15 years, there's a lot of talk about customer centricity, think about the customer, customer value, etc. Very important. But somewhere in the process, we forgot that there has to be value for the organization as well. I cannot tell you how many entrepreneurs and corporate innovators stumble on that block because they come up with ideas that customers want to buy, but they're irrelevant for the success of the organization. And just to give you an example of a large European telco company, they had a team working on a very, very interesting idea for three years. After three years, they built up a venture that was bringing in 40 million euros on annual recurring revenue basis. Now, any startup would kill for those numbers. Like, wow, you know, 40 million euros every year? That company, not even a blimp on their reporting because they're operating in billions of euros. So that venture that was built over three years, those talented people could have been developing products and ideas that are at a scale, at a level that's relevant for that organization. So for something to be innovative, the value has to be bidirectional. Value for the customer, value for the organization. For those listeners that are more in for impact or social impact, environmental impact, the value doesn't have to be financial. It can be value on the environment, you know, positive impact on the environment, positive impact on the social costs, etc., etc. Now we have the definition of innovation on the side, and we can discuss what can leaders do. Leaders can do a lot, but let's start with two things that leaders are best at doing, and they can impact the most. When we talk about innovation that has attractive returns, there are some myths that we have to bust. Uh, when people talk about innovation, they like radical, transformational, disruptive, you know, bring me those uh, unicorns, etc. That's horrible. If you're just investing in such ideas, you're going to be burning money away. Most attractive returns lie in investing in small, incremental improvements, adjacent innovations. Uh, imagine you have an existing product portfolio. Adding a little change to it or a small subservice to it is much more likely to bring in attractive returns compared to doing something you never did in the past and the customers never used in the past because you have the expense of building internal capability and competence and you have the cost of educating the customer. So you have the two biggest risks that you have to handle. So as a leader, Please do not focus just on the sexy ideas. Focus on all the ideas that can be delivered right now on a short term. That's one. Another one is people think, and this is this is maybe my bias. So I'm a Croatian living in Norway and I work with companies all over the globe. And I can see a distinct difference in a work culture, for example, between North Americans and Europeans. Like North Americans... Uh, are so competitive, which is good, uh, but they have the tendency to, to build heroes, you know, those paragons, like the, the, the hero leader, the hero innovator, they go against the grain, they fight the bureaucracy, and they, they're triumphant at the end. That's brilliant. But if you're a leader, those people are going to find their way. You do not need to help them. You don't need to help your superstars. You need to help everybody else in your organization. In other words, environment that you create in your organization has much more impact on long-term success 
of your organization than those superstars because they come and go. You cannot influence them. There's no superstar machine or factory or something. You know, they're the outliers. Don't focus on them. Focus on everybody else. If you can increase the average, wow, that's that's a really great success compared to focusing just on these heroes, rock stars, superstars, ninjas, samurai, or sherpas, or whatever is the, the term term of the week. Now, these two things are something that leaders are fully in control of. Like, what kind of ideas do we invest in? What kind of people do we give attention to? Like, those are the things, once you point out, you have no excuse (laughs) why you're not focusing on this instead of something else. And this applies the same. doesn't matter if you're an SME, a family business, or a conglomerate. Because you, as a leader, you're in charge. Nobody else. You have the responsibility. You have the accountability. People will look up to you. Even even if you try to have the the family feeling or we are all equals, that doesn't erase your responsibility for the well-being and success of the organization. I'm just going to pause here for a moment just to hear your thoughts a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So I got a lot of thoughts. You gave me a lot to work from. So... I think on the, on the first part of not just making like those big, looking for those big ideas and saying like, this is it. Like, we're just looking for these. I think Jeff Bezos, I want to say it was in 1997, one of his shareholder letters differentiated type one doors versus type two doors and viewing them as like almost it's a one way door versus a two way door. And so like when you're making these decisions, it's like, is this a decision that we can actually come back from? And if you're saying we have to innovate really big there are some of those innovative ideas, right? That you're going to open that one-way door and you can't turn back. Like you've spent so many resources trying to figure this thing out that you're stuck. First, the two-way, which is smaller ideas, right? Things that you can actually come back from and you can do a lot more of those and not impact the overall business negatively. And so like, yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. Why would we not do more of those? Uh, but then I wanted to go, and this is going to lead into my my next, the actual question here. Um, when you're talking about focusing on like the kind of the, the bigger like organization, right? Not just your superstars. Cause yeah, they are going to do their thing. They're going to be superstars regardless. Um, I like viewing the culture of your organization as the standard of your organization, because that's really as a leader, you get to set the standard and people like us do things like this. And that's what brings it up. But now, okay, now we're getting to the question where I find with a lot of teams, right? They're looking for either innovation or efficiency, and they exist on different ends of a continuum where you can't necessarily be 100% innovative and still be 100% efficient. And so you have to find like that balance for your organization to see how innovative can we be while still maintaining our efficiency. How do you go, or like one, how do you view that? Uh, You can disagree. It's fine. Uh, but then how, uh, I guess, how would you go about like working with a company to find where that balance is for them? Like how much innovation is maybe too mm, much? Mm, mm. It's funny, Chris, uh, because I, I just finished a few weeks ago, I wrote a, a big article on uh, differentiating between innovation and improvement. That, that's another way to phrase like innovation versus efficiency, etc. Um, and the thesis I put there is that how to phrase it nicely. 
I think it's nonsensical to a way, but I understand why it is happening. Uh, because we are applying different lens to compare things that they shouldn't be compared. So, for example, let, let's use your words, efficiency. Uh, when we talk about efficiency, we have efficiency of the innovation process, which is not the same as efficiency when we talk about executive uh, executing uh, daily operations, right? So we would have different measures. Uh, to me, I would try, in my experience, not to pose them as uh, one continuum and, and ends on that single continuum, but rather two parallels. And they're not two parallels that run along each other and never touch, but rather they, they crisscross. You know, imagine like a sinusoid uh, curve, and they're they're going over each other. Uh, when we're talking about efficiency of innovation process, what we are talking about is controlling the inputs. Because real innovation has inherently uncertain outcomes. Other operational procedures will have certain outcomes. If we do specific activities, specific, specific outcomes are going to be achieved. Therefore, efficiency is Tightly controlling these activities, procedures, etc., keeping the costs, keeping the speed, keeping the quality, keeping the safety in control. So the output is consistent. So we can sell it, deliver, whatever, whatever, whatever. Now that starts a little bit falling apart for the innovation process if you try to apply the same thing. When we're talking about the efficiency of innovation process, the most important measure is speed of the innovation process. What I mean by that is ideas are very short-lived like people get too, too, too stuck too hung up on, on their precious ideas but ideas are if you imagine a stack of papers they're papers that you crumple and throw away you should be spending hundreds if not thousands of ideas on a monthly basis so what you must focus on from the efficiency perspective for the innovation process is the time it takes you to work out an idea Test an idea and decide if you discard it or not. Like you said, one-way, two-way doors. So you want to go through those two-way doors as quickly as possible and identify any idea that looks like one-way door because that might require more work. So when we reframe and start focusing, okay, uh, efficiency looks different for the innovation process, then we can start bringing in some of the practices from, let's say, traditional business and start applying them to innovation business uh, in, let's say, more helpful way compared to you know traditionally hey let's calculate discounted cash flows let's calculate mpvs let's calculate all of that stuff yes for innovation that would look a little bit different so th that that needs to be that needs to be happening where people get stuck and after that i'll i'll let you <laughs> share your thoughts is uh, they they get stuck on a concept of quality because one thing that we have found in practice and research is that the speed of innovation process is much, much, much more important than the quality of innovation process. And when people hear that, they think, oh, does that mean we can make crap? Like, can we just make bad products and, and ship them fast? And you heard that, you know, because Facebook popularized it, move fast and break things. And in Lean Startup, people were talking about minimum viable products that people started thinking, hey, that's something that's partial or better or whatever no 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 no. we are talking about quality of the process itself in other words it doesn't matter if you use design thinking lean startup customer development whatever is popular methodology of the day what matters most is what i spoke just a few minutes ago that once chris or bruno has an idea that in two weeks 
we can test it with 10 customers. If you're in B2C or if you're in B2B, that you can test it with at least three to five uh, potential customers who are ideally economic buyers. That's what it means. So it, it doesn't really matter if Chris uses, I don't know, uh, customer interviews in a specific style and if Bruno uh, is doing something completely uh, different for customer research. What matters is that both Chris and Bruno quickly test that idea and decide what to do with it next. How's that landing? Making sense so far? That's <laughs> landing well. Right. So we care more about the, the outcome of what we're doing and just trying to maintain that speed so that we're actually, we're, and you can see this with, with I've had ideas for articles pop in my head. And if I don't sit down and start writing out that article right now, it's gone. Like I'm never, I'm never going to pick it back up. And the idea is going to get worse actually over time versus if I just put it out, like wrote it, put it out there, see what works. Right. And now that gives me some insights for my, my next one. And even, I think the, the fail forward argument right? That a lot of people say like, oh, let's just break things. It's like, no, no, no. You want to be able to identify what you're potentially breaking so that it actually teaches you something for that next experiment so you can move fast. You're absolutely on spot. Absolutely on spot. Uh, people started fetishizing failure a bit too much. It just happens that failure is one way to learn. It's, it's really not about failure. It is about learning. If you can learn from failure of others, that's the, that, that, that's the best thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. Uh, yeah. And then I think exactly because they like fetishize is, I don't know if that's a word, but they, they, they lean into like failure so much, but like even with success, you can learn a ton of things, right? It doesn't just because you're successful somewhere doesn't necessarily mean the opposite would be a failure, but it at least gives you direction to be able to, to plan out your next test. Hey, this worked. How can I iterate on this in order to take that next step? So yeah, I love it. Um, let's go. So actually, let's go into that. Um, I have okay. So in business, right? You cannot improve what you don't measure. I believe you also can't measure what you don't define. And so I love that you started the episode with your definition of innovation because it's like we need to be able to define it if we're going to be able to measure how we're doing, right? And so how do you kind of work with businesses to make sure that we actually have strong definitions for what we're doing so that we know we can create that sound hypothesis and, you know, create good tests that were uh, for innovation? Mm -mm. Ooh. I'll try to keep this short because I could probably talk way too long about it. Okay. Uh, so with a few things here, let's start with definitions. Uh, usually when we get terms or something we can look we can look them up either in literature or whatever is the professional trade publication etc as i said uh setting definitions is partly social process as well because in in the room we have to have uh, a same understanding of of the definition and then agree on it because again i cannot tell you how many times i come into company and if i go not even between departments but in one department r d procurement sales product development and i ask them okay doesn't have to be innovation agile is another popular term doesn't even have to be one of the popular terms it can be basic stuff like strategy like well, what is What's, what's the strategy of this organization in your own words? And then I start getting, you know, many, many different answers. So people have to remember uh, defining things isn't just a technical exercise. It's also a social exercise to make sure to communicate again and again and again. Uh, 
Now, when it comes to running experiments, designing experiments and learning, you know, what we said, not failing fast, but learning fast, uh, the most important thing is to start from the learning goal. You have to define what is it that you want to learn. You said it nicely. Uh, in order to measure something, you first have to define what you want to measure. So you, you cannot start, oh, let's measure this or that. Figure out wh what do we want to know? Let's say, I mean, th this is this is maybe too high level access, but if you say we want to be successful, okay, but what is the measure of success? Is that revenue? Well, not, not really. Revenue would be like somewhere second, third level measure of success might be EBITDA, might be profitability margin, return on uh, assets if you're a specific type of company. So those could be kind of top level and then figuring out for my type of business, okay, what, what does feed into that? But let's go, we were talking about innovative ideas. So you could start, okay, what is success for this idea? What, what, what would make it a success? And we could start humble. We could start with the number of customers, how they're behaving, etc. And then we could ask a question, okay, how do these people make their buying decision? That's my learning goal. And then with that learning goal, I could start designing a bunch of small experiments. I could start designing, okay, uh, first we have to have qualitative interviews to figure out customer's journey or to figure out in general, how are they using our product? What are they trying to get done with it? When I done that, then I could have another set of qualitative interviews where I would dig deeper, where I would maybe either speak with more people or maybe I would ask different questions. I would start uh, asking them to rank different pains, problems, jobs to be done, etc., etc., etc. So I could be working in iterations, but what I'm always going back to as a North Star is my learning goal. What do I want to learn? When I have what I want to learn, everything else I can design. And that ties into what I spoke earlier, speed of learning, more important than the quality of the innovation process itself. The faster I can learn and get to my learning goal, the quicker I can move forward or even better discard. As a leader, you know you have succeeded in creating good environment for innovation when your own people are coming to you and saying, Chris, you're my boss. I've been working on this idea for three weeks and I don't think it's a good idea. I suggest we discard it and go to the next one. Then I know Chris is a really good innovation manager or leader that supports innovation because that is a success from the organizational perspective. As I said earlier, you have to cycle to hundreds of ideas. You cannot cycle through hundreds of ideas if it takes you six months to work on one idea. That, that, that will not work. And, and people, uh, people are afraid of that approach because they're like, oh, what if we discard next Zoom or next Airbnb? Do people know how Zoom happened? It was a guy at, uh, what was it, Webex that didn't get supported. So he left the company and built uh, Zoom. If it's good, it's going to come back. It's extremely unlikely that you're going to discard that unicorn and that it's never going to come back. That is so, so, so unlikely. <laughs> you're much more likely to burn and waste people's time by allowing them to, to work on ideas for 6 to 12 months when they don't stand a 1% chance for being accepted by the organization. Yeah, like, uh, so I'm actually working a lot in decision-making right now and just figuring out what, how do we make better decisions? How do we make them quicker, right? Get all the information that we need in order to make an, a sound decision very fast. But one of the things I've realized is pretty important right from the start 
is saying, what do I want to learn from this decision? Or what do I need to learn from this decision? This way, as soon as you have that information, right, you make the decision. But now as soon as I know I get what I want to learn from it or what I needed to learn, I'm ready to make the next decision sequentially. And so I don't have to wait for someone else to tell me, hey, you need to make this decision now. It's like, no, I just hit the next kind of milestone, right, to know that this is coming up. And I feel like there's this translates pretty well to the the innovative kind of model of like, okay, what did what do I need to learn from this test? And then as soon as you have that, it's like I can move on to the next test now. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I love that you were kind of referencing that. What's really interesting from a perspective of, of both decision making, and it doesn't have to be just uh, innovative ideas, it can be any strategic decision, is uh, from the real options theory which basically teaches us that once we have identified our options, our strategic choices, etc., uh, there is a fine balance between learning how long should you delay before making the final decision. Because th- there, is, there is a cost if you exercise your option too early, and there is a cost if you exercise it uh, too late. And that's, that's really interesting because in some cases, you are better off if, if you recognize before everybody else what is happening, you could be better off just waiting for some time. But it, it has to be deliberate waiting, not accidental because you were clueless and you ended up waiting. But, you know, you spot something before everybody and then you decide, okay, I should wait. I shouldn't uh, reveal my cards too early. But that is, that's probably going too, too much into geeky territory. <laughs> No, I mean, I love it. I use I, one of the things that I, I work with some of my coaching clients on is called the, uh, the 40, 70 principle where, or rule, I guess, where we don't want to make a decision until we have at least 40% of the information that we need. And we don't want to wait until we have more than 70% because then we probably waited too long. But what I find with a lot of entrepreneurs is that they either wait for everything to be perfect. And so they're in that 70 to 100% realm and then they've missed opportunities right they've closed a bunch of doors because they they just took their time and then from the other side there's some entrepreneurs that think speed is security and they'll make a decision before they have half the information that they, they should they should have uh, at 40 percent and and now they're just not making sound decisions in general so uh, honestly real real options theory i think is what you said i'm i gotta look into that more because that's the first i'm hearing about it so now i'm excited i do get to nerd out with you uh, so let's talk about some of the frameworks that you use to approach innovation, right? When you're working with a company or a country, uh, how are you going in and, and essentially saying, hey, guys, this is how we're going to approach being innovative? Mm. I like practical and pragmatic approaches. So it's, uh, it's kind of, you know, you have all these frameworks, uh, books, etc., approaches, etc. Uh, when it comes to innovation, it, it, it is to an extent simple. Uh, especially because developing innovative ideas is very difficult. It is a very humane activity. It's uh, Chris who has ideas. It's Bruno who has ideas. It's not our companies that have ideas. That means if, if you want to make your organization more innovative, you have to help your employees exercise their creativity easier. That's, that, that is the starting point. And when it comes to especially larger organizations, governmental uh, organizations, etc., I know it's ugly to talk about it, but I don't have uh, the, or I haven't found the correct words, but we still live in the world of hierarchies. 
we still have we have executives we have managers we have middle managers we have frontline people etc we we cannot escape that why am i saying that uh because this these different groups of people have different jobs they're doing for the organization they're not doing the same type of work the organization could be you know I don't know, a dairy company wants to create dairy products and sell to their product. But the CEO has different job uh, than the person working and producing dairy. The job of the CEO is to sell the company, to set the direction, to motivate the leadership team. Th- th- that's their job. They don't have the same job as the operator on a dairy farm whose job is to create the best dairy product possible. But they all want to satisfy the same customer. Why am I saying that? From the innovation perspective, executives... Main job is funding ideas, finding money, finding time, finding resources, and clarifying the direction. The worst thing I hear when when leaders come to me and they're like, oh, Bruno, our people are not creative. We must do these hackathons, ideatons. We have to bring in art people. Oh, when they bring ideas, they're not relevant. It's not their fault. It's your fault. If I go talk to these people and they don't know what's the strategy of organization, it's not their fault. It's your fault. It's in your head. And just because it's in your head and the top leadership people had and they can maybe talk about it, why are you assuming that everybody else will speak about it the same way? And the same thing happens every time. I ask them, if I now walk walk out of this meeting room that we're in, go around the corner and just stop first person and ask them very simple question like, what is this organization strategy? What's your number one thing that you're trying to get done this year? Do you think they will give me the same answer as you? Everybody goes, yes. And then I go and do it and never the person gives the same answer. They're not completely, you know, off the ball. That would be weird, but it's so important. We spoke about definitions, what, half an hour ago. This is the same thing. So the leadership's job in this case is to really clearly define, hey, this is what we're trying to do, and this is how innovation plays in this picture. To give you an example, organization, usually they want to be number one, this blah, 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 okay. But then specifically say, we see innovation contributing to increasing profit margin of our products by 30%. We see innovation contributing to generating 50% revenue within five years. Now, these are still high level, but you're clearly communicating. These were just examples, by the way. Don't, don't Those listening, they're not the best measures to put. Uh, but if... You say these two things and you're clearly communicating to your organization that you're looking for innovative ideas that will generate higher profit margins. So you're not looking for low-cost ideas. You're not looking, for example, race to the bottom. And then you can go and detail it, detail it out more. For example, in Scandinavia, a common constraint is we do not want ideas that uh, depend on opening physical uh, branches. Because uh, trend in Scandinavian businesses is reducing physical footprint. So by doing that, by clearly communicating that, you cannot complain that your people are coming up with irrelevant ideas. So that's that's for the leaders. Then we have the, the middle management that again has different job because the top management doesn't really operationalize. That's an ugly word. Uh, they don't implement strategies. Again, leaders don't implement. They, they set direction and they motivate and, and lead. It's people that do all the hard work. Then they need a translator. That's the middle management that, that people like to... to tr- oh, I'm looking for nice words. 
people like to complain about middle management and they're like, oh, they're the worst ever. But they're the translators between the levels. They're the ones working and doing all the dirty work and they're underappreciated. And innovation system, they're so important because they match the resources. They open the pathways because a frontline employee doesn't necessarily know everybody in the organization. So it's the middle management that connects them, that works like an orchestrator. And finally, to me, the most important job for, for the front lines and all the people close to the customers are developing ideas. Nothing else should stand in their way. They should have everything available at hand. The worst, two worst, <laughs> two worst things. Okay, two bad things, two bad things, two bad things. So one is sending your frontline employees, you know, to fancy schools or bringing in speakers or people like me to like fire them up and, and talk, open this beautiful world of innovation to them. And then just stop in that. That's pure torture. It's like what I I, I don't want to to, to make uh, sexual metaphors, but you know, it's it isn't that. Like you get someone all up and ready and pricked, and then you just leave them (laughs) hanging there. You know, horrible, horrible. Another horrible thing is organizing those idea tons. You know, collect your ideas, idea boxes, etc., and then never replying to anyone. That's extremely quick way to kill innovation culture in your organization, but also to kill the motivation and drive and energy. And don't be confused. People do not get hurt if you say no to their idea. They get hurt if they don't hear back. It's not a problem if if you say no. It's no because ABC. It can be a short, polite no. But if they never hear back, then they're never going to contribute again. Now, I I sound like I'm ranting, so I'm going to stop here. (laughs) No, that was a great rant and actually a great place for us to uh, to just start wrapping up and move to move to the end. Uh, man, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Um, so first question I have for you as we wrap up is what book do you think everyone should read? In today's world, uh, I do think that uh, for Marcus Aurelius is a really good book on, on stoicism. Uh, it, I mean, it really survived. It survived, uh, what, a few thousand years now? And I think it is very, very much worth the read. We are not, it's, it's fascinating how much it still resonates because none of us are really Caesar, right? And, and he, he was a Caesar and it's basically his personal diary meditations from, uh, from him. Uh, it, it was a personal diary of himself uh, reminding himself to kind of uh, ground myself, uh, listen to people, you know, uh, uh, don't forget you have to listen to others despite you being a Caesar ruling over, over an empire and kind of j- just uh, taking everything as it comes. It is what it is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I do think it is something that's valuable to, to everyone, even those that uh, find themselves... Uh, a bit harder, maybe, you know, like uh, those that consider them tenacious and they can overcome anything. I still think it would be uh, a useful read. And th- th- there's so much to, to be learned from that reading and rereading it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Uh, what is next for you professionally? Ooh. Ooh. Professionally, so I've I've always been doing too many things because I'm so curious. Uh, and as I said, uh, being independent uh, was a choice. So I always get to work on uh, really exciting and uh, difficult projects. I never know what's around the corner, but I've been very proud helping an organization in a green energy space, 
bringing a big revolution to the market. Unfortunately, I cannot say more more, more than that. But it's it's going to make a world a better place on on a significant scale. It's it's a real problem we have to solve. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, finally, where can people find you? The easiest way to find me is on online, so www.pesec.no. Chris is going to, to have it. You can always reach out to him. He has all my personal details, even my phone number. Uh, everything I, I spoke about today, everything I shared is available on my website. I write a lot. I publish articles, uh, videos, webinars, uh, white papers, everything. And it's all for free. No tricks, no nothing. I had good fortune of having access to good education. So I said, uh, the, the smallest thing I can do is just, just give back. I know it's not going to hurt my business because I've learned that people are too lazy to, to, to apply all the best practices. So I'm not concerned. But if you're one of those that, that really is doing the work, you will find everything you need on the website. And I'm happy to help whomever has a good question. All right, Bruno, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Chris. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. And for more information on how to build effective and efficient teams through your leadership, visit leadingforeffect.com. As always, deserve it.